Good morning, Love Chapel Hill. All right, let's try that again. Whoa, what's up, y'all? There's a coup in the back. Uh, <laughs> so good. I don't even know what you said. This it's, it's, Encouragement. Thank you. Thank you. I need it. I need all of it I can get. Um, Y'all, that's, that's our Love Chapel Hill um, youth group back there. So, so good. Yeah, let's give them some love. Y'all, I'm fresh off the country roads um, that took me home to West Virginia for a few days. And uh, Riley and Avery, my daughters, were on fall break this week. And so got to go take in just the beauty of the leaves. Those country roads did bring us back home to North Carolina, too. Uh, so we're, we're excited to be back and see the, the colors of the leaves turning all along the way. Uh, but as we were in West Virginia, you know, it just, the weather was so incredible. Anybody else fall their favorite time of year? That's okay. All right. I stand with you. I love this time of year. It's like campfire in the backyard kind of weather or, or even going camping. It's, it's the perfect weather for me. Uh, but as we were there, we got to journey through the mountains and really get to see um, from the rivers to the mountains and the trees, just the beauty of God's creation. You know, there were times the kids were asleep in the back seat, and I have to admit, I was brought to tears. It was just so beautiful. The way that God was revealing himself through creation, um, it was just astounding. And I'm so grateful every time that this is, is one of the ways the Lord just speaks to me and moves in me to be out in creation. I just want to encourage you, if you've not taken that moment yet this fall to take a walk on a trail, um, to just get out by the edge of the water somewhere, to go take in this season. Even if it's only for an hour, just let your heart find rest in that. Uh, some of you are like, outside, I don't rest outside. There are bugs and those kinds of things. It's okay. It's okay. Um, but I want to encourage you just to take, take some time this season because the Lord uses the beauty of creation to reveal himself to us so often. So whether you take a walk on Bolin Creek, you get out on the Morgan Creek Trail, um, head out to Jordan Lake, whatever that may be, take some time to do that. Because the way that the Lord moves in that place and can even move me to tears at the beauty of it, it reminds me also that he meets us in those same ways, in our pain, in our places of struggle, and when we are trying to make sense of what's happening in the world around us. You know, we know, we mentioned a couple weeks ago, just as there is a community here in our in our neighborhood, in our downtown neighborhood. The University Gardens um, community, just, just less than a mile from here, experienced two homicides in less than a month, or right at a month. And really figuring out how we, as a community of Love Chapel Hill, can respond and show love in that space. So as you go out today, you know, there are cards that are on the table um, and we want to get a handwritten note to each person that lives in that neighborhood. With that, we are working on flowers, planted, potted flowers to go with that. Um, it is nearly 200 um, 
units in, in that community. And it's a community that is often overlooked, um, one of the most affordable places to live in our community, and one of the most forgotten places in our community. And so we want to let them know that they are not forgotten, that they are seen, that they matter, and that we love them. So if you'll just write a note to that simple effect that we see them and that they matter to us, I would love for you to join in that. As you go out today, um, grab a card. You can write it here. You can take it with you and bring it back. Um, we're aiming to do this um, over probably uh, over the next week that we will be preparing the flowers and, and getting ready to go. And if you would like to be a part of distributing that, there will be opportunity um, as well. But as we think about homicides in our own community, and the tragedy that it is that we experience here, we can't help but pause in this moment to lift up our neighbors in Raleigh, especially the Headingham neighborhood that experienced a mass shooting with five people losing their lives and others injured, just rocking, devastating a small neighborhood that never expected something like that to be at their doorstep. And so we want to pause in this moment to just pray for them, to understand that it impacts us also as we see it on the news. We know that that is not far. Sometimes things can feel so distant that they don't impact us, but it's here. These are our neighbors. This is our region. And so we want to pause in this moment. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it is hard for us to find the words in the face of such tragedy, to even begin to process, to cope. But to know, God, that you know. You know the weight of pain. You know the weight of loss. And you stand in the midst of chaos with those who are experiencing it moment by moment. God, there is never a time when you are far off. And so we just pray this morning, especially for the Headingham neighborhood in Raleigh. God, the people who are waking up without someone that they loved dearly. We pray for each and every family that is experiencing loss. God, that you hold them. You hold them close. You surround them with people full of love and compassion. People just going on about their day, Lord, you know each one of them by name. You know each one of them by heart. So God, we just ask for your mercy in the face of another mass shooting. And as this one especially comes close to where we are, God, just open our eyes and our hearts
God, to love with yours, to respond in a way that is full of compassion. And God, even for the young man who would commit such a senseless and heinous act, God, we pray for him. pray you be near to him. God, that he may too somehow experience your mercy. You are a God of justice and a God of grace. Pour yourself out today on those even now who are responding in that neighborhood, the people who are there as open arms, embracing people who feel alone, who feel lost, who feel confused, who can't sleep at night. And God, for each of us to open our eyes and our hearts to recognize that even the news of it impacts us too that we may turn to friends and loved ones to process together. And that, God, as we gather together and we process, Lord, you are in our midst. You are showing us a way of love to respond in such a time as this. God, we pray in your mighty and holy, holy name. Amen. Well, if you feel led to respond in a certain way that Love Chapel Hill may come alongside you for that community, please let us know. And I encourage you again to help us respond to such tragedies here in our neighborhood as well. Take time to write one of those cards. If you want to give in such a way to help us um, purchase the flowers that we'll be delivering, however the Lord is leading you to respond, God, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this place. There's no good way to transition. But the Lord is calling us into a deeper place today and to open our hearts even wider. He wants to speak to us through his words. We want to give him that opportunity today to do that. So we're starting a new series, a series in the Old Testament called Matriarchs of the Faith. So why the Old Testament? (laughs) Isn't it that book that's full of death and destruction and God's vengeance and patriarchy, and all the things that nobody wants to read? Can't we just skip to the New Testament and pick up with all the good things of Jesus and and go? We got to wrestle with it. That's why the Old Testament, there are things that we need to dig into, and we need to wrestle with, but also because it is a part of the story, and without it, the story of Jesus is incomplete. 
Anybody else watching Rings of Power right now? Yeah, all right, all right, yes, yes. Um, so, um, you know, I am only through episode six, no spoilers, please. I've got, I've got a couple more to go. But imagine for just a minute watching that without any background from Lord of the Rings. What would that be? Imagine just watching, just watching Return of the King without, or, or reading Return of the King for those of you who can handle the, the thick ones, the thick books. Um, imagine Return of the King without Fellowship of the Ring or the Two Towers. What is, what is that story? Right? There's an incomplete storyline there. Watch any episode of Star Wars without the others, and it's just a small glimpse, right? Imagine even of our own story, our own storyline of our own lives. If somebody just took a snippet, right? Like, just took a season of your life, what story would that tell? Does it tell the whole thing? Maybe there are some parts of it that capture glimpses of the whole thing, but it's incomplete, right? There are plenty of parts of my story I would love to focus on, <laughs> that that is, that is the part. And those are the social media highlight reels, right? Like, the, that's the story we want to tell, and we want the rest of the world to know. But they are incomplete stories, right? And so the New Testament without the Old Testament is an incomplete story. When we start or we end in the wrong place, it can throw off the whole view of things, so that's why we're digging into the Old Testament to lead us in this season that we get this background that points us and as we take the steps to Advent, which is just six weeks away, um, in case you need that on your calendar. Advent starts in six weeks. Um, and so why the matriarchs? Y'all, we are going to be in the business of telling some of the untold stories. That we recognize that we are in a culture. That we are in a place in time that is driven by patriarchy. And in recognizing that, we together are going to lean into and look at the places of the mothers of our faith, the broad term matriarch in this, the women who have gone before and led, and there are mighty women who have gone before and led, and there are mighty women of the Old Testament and the New Testament and here today that are leading and will lead, and this is a space for that. We recognize the harm of patriarchy over centuries, millennia, and we have to wrestle with that in our own book, in the book of truth that we follow. We have to wrestle with that in the pages of our own scriptures. God works through those places, and Christianity comes through patriarchy. But that does not mean patriarchy is Christian. And so we are going to take this series especially to highlight the matriarchs of the faith. 
We're going to start with Eve and today in the creation story, recognizing her as the mother of all creation, but also as one of faith. The first person, really, to have faith in the face of adversity. We're going to walk through the life of Sarah, who in her old age never imagined that she would be the mother of Israel. That's right. Many nations. Many nations. The story of Leah and Rachel, the wanted and the unwanted. That God would bring forth a way through the unwanted one. The story of Miriam who confronts patriarchal leadership and leads steps forward with her brothers Moses and Aaron as a leader of the people of Israel. And Deborah, the judge, a mighty woman of faith, a prophet to speak life to the people of Israel. And Esther, the unlikely queen with the courage again to step forward in the face of a patriarchal system to save an entire nation. So y'all, it's going to be a six-week journey through the Old Testament in a way maybe you haven't heard before. And so I want to encourage you to come back. The different members of our teaching team got to choose the person that they wanted to highlight. And so from different perspectives, from different voices, I invite invite you to journey with us through this series. As we go through the Old Testament, we're reminded that each year we journey together through the full sweep of Scripture. In In a calendar year, we are intentionally walking through the Old Testament now in the fall, which leads us to the Advent season, and then the coming and the anticipating of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus at Christmas. And that comes on around, then we explore the life and the ministry of Jesus, which leads us up to Lent and Good Friday, and then the celebration of Resurrection Day. And then onward to the ascension of Jesus and the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Rinse, wash, repeat every year. We are making this cycle through Scripture, telling the full sweep. We think of these as the rings of a tree, right? That as we go through them year after year, it continues to grow and expand, expand our hearts expand our minds to what God is doing in our midst, even still today. So today we're picking up with scripture in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to walk through a few verses of Genesis 1 and then a few verses of Genesis 2 and take a look at the creation of humankind. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. It'll be on the screen to read along. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
and over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. That just freaked you out for those who didn't want to go outside, all the creeping things, right? Okay, hang with me. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given you every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Jumping over to Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 25. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it up and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may eat freely from every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground, the Lord formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called him, every living creature, that was its name. A man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. He slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that was the Lord, the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man, this one was taken. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Maybe my favorite verse in all of scripture. That last one. No. <laughs> um, right. Y'all, just a reminder as we dig in here that this is not trying to be a science book, okay? Can we agree on that? This is not trying to be a science book or a scientific explanation of how everything came to be. This is an ancient poetic expression of the why. The why. 
Genesis 1 is this macro view, right, we get of the creation narrative poetically written, and it's intentionally ordered by days in poetry. Genesis 2, then, is like a change in the lens on a microscope. You know, I had a little microscope when I was a kid. You, like, change the little lens, the power. Some of you are actual scientists and, like, do this on a daily basis and have way more powerful things than we can even imagine to see the most microscopic. But a microscope, right? Like, you, you turn the lens, zoom in, increase the power. We get to focus in on the subject of humanity's existence in chapter 2. Genesis 1 brings the light, the sky, the land, seas, plants, and trees, the, su- the sun, the moon, the stars, creatures of the sea and the air, animals of the land, and finally the capstone of creation, humanity. And then God took a rest, and he calls us to rest too. Genesis 2 We then see the image of God come to life in humanity. The unity of the human species reflects then the image of God. Key word there, unity, reflects the image of God. So let's rewind here to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I think we have it on the screen. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Y'all, translation matters. Many of you, if you have, have, if you have your Bible with you, depending on what version, you may turn over and it says God created man in his image. Some may go as far as to say mankind in his image. But here, the the best translation, as I dig in, and y'all, the Bible Project has been like super, um, super helpful for me um, in digging into the poetry, understanding where Genesis 1 is coming from. And the best translation that just makes sense is humankind. The word Adam can be the name Adam, and it can mean man. But the key here in this poetry is it is ha-adam. It is the human, not ascribing gender in this place. But it is the humanity that God creates in the first being, one human being made here that bears the image all bald in one. And I love, we get to see this conversation within the Godhead, within the Trinity, right? They are talking amongst themselves, let us make humankind in our image. And so they do. So to dig into that deeper, we get to flip on into Genesis 2. And it takes a closer look as to what it means to be image bearers. God calls his creation good seven times before here we see the pronouncing that there is something not good. What is it that's not good? For humanity to be alone, for this being to be the only one. 
to be alone. Yahweh said, it is not good for the human to be alone. I will make a counterpart for him. The Bible project here explains God's call of man's companion, Ezer. Ezer is commonly translated as helper, but more accurately, it is conveyed as deliverer. Its use over and over again in scripture is actually tied to even military terms where there is a deliverer. Yahweh is usually described as that deliverer. And so all of the animals are brought in front of the human. The animals are explored and named and getting to meet each one of them. Not one is found adequate to be a companion for the human. And so in a way that only the Yahweh creator can do, he puts the human into a deep sleep. And in Genesis 2, the woman is formed out of Adam. The Hebrew text conveys this idea that Eve actually mirrors Adam. That they are different, but they reflect and they match each other. That this is Adam's equal, a counterpart, a match, mirroring, being able to look. And the first response that is given is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Right? To look at all of the other animals of creation, there was no kind of response in that. They were named, they were given identity and place within the created order, but none gets this kind of response to recognize as if we are looking in a mirror. Right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You know, the word rib is in like nearly every translation. <laughs> and this word is actually like, it's just not rib, right? So I'm not a Bible translator. I trust scholars who are like way, way smarter than I will ever be. But the word that is used here is actually side. The God takes a side of the human and sets it apart to make the other. To make woman, it requires actually taking a side of Adam. Yeah. And so the two then together reveal the fullness of God's image. There's complete unity in this place of Genesis 1 and 2. When the two are there, male and female, there's complete unity made for oneness in a union that does not erase personal uniqueness or identity. The image of God is captured in the fullness of gender. They together are then called to be stewards of the earth. There is not one of them put above the other. Together they are called to be stewards of all of creation. All of it. And so they have this responsibility to be God's representatives, his image bearers, 
which in many other cultures like and many other creation narratives, the, the idea of the image of God would be ascribed to a king or, or to a god, a lesser god itself. But here, for the image of God to be born by the capstone of creation and then given the responsibility to care for all the earth. I dropped for you on the Sunday page today some teaching resources that I am leaning heavily on that is not wizardry, that's like just mine, that's for everybody. And so I want you to be um, just encouraged to take a deeper dive. If you're being challenged or you are curious, whatever that is, you know, there's a link to Bible Project podcasts, the one particularly on collective identity. If you could listen to one resource that would like help level the playing field for understanding the creation narrative, that's the one I would give you. Um, so take a listen. Uh, there are also a few others. There's a book that uh, I've been going through and, and um, it's called The Making of Biblical Womanhood how the subjugation of women became gospel truth. It will rock <laughs> your world in a lot of good ways. Um, so I, I would recommend that book for you as well. And then there's also an article there um, that, on Eve specifically. It is Eve, a most holy woman, full of faith and love. So those, those three resources I, I commend to you that are on uh, the Sunday page, lovechapelhill.com slash Sunday, under the teaching section. Take a look. Those are there for you. But to continue on, in this place of unity, in this place where we have male and female together, together the unity bearing the image of God, then enters disunity. In Genesis chapter 3, right, the ideal creation, the ideal of all the creation that we've heard and we've seen, it is broken. And humanity together considers equality with their creator something to be grasped, and they go for it. You probably know how the story goes, right? The evil one enters into the garden and brings deception. He doesn't even bring lies to Eve, really. He brings questions that start to undermine yeah. who she is, who God is, and what she can and can't do, what she should and shouldn't do. And with that, sin enters in. The ideal of creation is broken. And this is the side of creation that we live on and live in today. There are consequences that enter into the world and bring about cataclysmic changes in the dynamic of relationship. The relationship moves from this perfect mirror of each other to one that will be power struggle, to break what is a perfect union that one may be elevated above the other in seeking to make something of themselves. Genesis 3.16, we get a glimpse right here of 
what God says to the woman. The consequence of the decision that was made to try to be like God. Instead of being in perfect, loving union and relationship with God, to try to achieve being like God. He says to the woman, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. It is in this moment, really, that patriarchy enters into the world. The curse that is pronounced is on the serpent, not on the humans. God doesn't curse the humans, but there are consequences. And there is a greater curse of the fall of humanity here that impacts all of creation. It's not just the relationship dynamic between the man and the woman, but it's consequences for all of creation for trying to do life apart from God. Male and female receive consequence of toil from their source of being. The words to Adam are that the land, right, the land that will require cultivation is going to be harsh. It's even going to be fallow. It's going to consume his attention, toil with the one she was formed from. Right, that this, he shall rule over you comes back to where sh- the source right, of her creation she is formed out of. And so both of them toiling with the source of their creation. You know, throughout history, there have been some whacked out thoughts, ideas, philosophies about women. You don't have to search very hard or very far to find them. But two of them, as I've been going through this book, the ideas from Aristotle about women, that the female body is somehow deformed or mis... Yeah, right. Thank you, Daniel. Right. That they are incomplete somehow. The philosopher Galen, even using the word monstrous. And so the damage throughout human history of thinking as women, thinking of women as somehow less than, that the female is an incomplete male somehow in this deranged philosophy, there's damage done that we today have a chance to enter into making things right. The scales are out of balance when sin enters into the world, that what were equals in bearing the image of God, then one tips significantly that the male is elevated. 
And so we see the issues of value and, and inequality throughout human history. We see it still in wage gaps today. We see it still in rates of sexual and domestic violence experienced by a staggering number of women in our society. Every single power struggle, every single discrimination, every subordination, the enslavement of people, well, it is the weight of sin that carries us to that place. And there is only one solution. Jesus. Thank you, Daniel. That even Eve experiences the weight of sin through the murder of her offspring. That the offspring of Adam and Eve. This is where the first murder takes place. The power struggle that Cain overtakes Abel. The weight of that for Eve as she, she actually hears a promise from God of a better way, that there would be restoration someday. Right? Eve often gets a bad rap, Amen. right? For somehow being the one to first take the fruit. This is not biblical. This is the Justin Simmons thought on that, is that the evil one knew he had to get Eve. Because if he got Adam first, Eve would have been like, no, you idiot. But no, if he could deceive Eve first, then, right, the male's definitely going down. This is just me. There's no, nothing, <laughs> I, have no, <laughs> I have no evidence backing for that. But as I think about it, right, like this is, it's just what makes sense in my mind. Sorry. All right. But it strikes me also in Scripture that the woman is not given a name until after the fall, until after sin enters into the picture. We know the name that she is given. I've said it like a number of times already because it's nearly impossible to talk about this story without referring to Eve. But the name Eve here in Hebrew literally means life. And wasn't it that when sin entered in, there was death on the horizon? So how remarkable one, that God has mercy on them to continue, right? He doesn't scrap the whole thing from there. His mercy poured out, and that Eve is given the name of life to bring life forward. And that when Adam and Eve sin against God, there are consequences for each of them. But when God is cursing the serpent, we hear there, that God gives Eve a new promise. He delivers this promise to Eve that also belongs to us. A seed that will come from Eve 
that will end the separation of sin and death and the evil one. This is the first gospel promise. That just like Eve, God promises to remove us from our guilt and shame. He clothes us with righteousness for his forgiveness and grace. Maybe we carry hidden sins in our own lives. Maybe we have a desire to even hide from people just as they hid from God in the garden. But we remember that nothing is hidden. His invitation for us to come out of hiding. Righteousness of Christ covers our guilt and our shame. He offers it to us freely because Jesus overturns the power of sin. The wrongs are being made right in Jesus. And as people of God, as followers of Jesus, we, being about his business in the world, also have the responsibility of setting things right, including the gender relationship, the inequality, the imbalance that entered in when sin came in. Jesus overcomes that curse. And as followers of Jesus, we bring this back up to its rightful place into equal relationship. We see it in the life of Jesus over and over again. The leadership that is given to women, you know, the first person to proclaim the good news of Jesus' ministry? A woman. His disciples, over and over again, we see the women among them, though their stories are not told as explicitly because of the patriarchy, right? But explicitly, the first people to see that the tomb was empty, to go and tell the good news, were his women disciples, right? The female disciples. We see even through the ministry of Paul highlighting again and again the work of women in ministry in leading churches. Jesus sets things right back to the ideal that was before sin entered, we get to be a part of bringing it back into right relationship here and now. And where, where do we see that more than at the table? As we come around the table to share in the bread and the cup, that the power of sin and death has been broken. That the journey of reconciliation begins as we gather around this table. The journey to complete unity, the unity between the creator and the created, regardless of gender. Unity is where we see the image of God born. We are the bearers 
of his image when we are together and in right relationship with him. So here, as his life was given, his body broken for you and for me, that the wrongs may be made right, his body broken, and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin, yours and mine. He made this way for right relationship between humans, between the creator and the created order. Friends, I invite you to come and to receive today that we together may be in pursuit of complete unity with one another and that we get to share that good news with our culture. As you come today, we're going to come down this, this aisle. We'll tear off a piece of the bread and we'll dip it in the cup. We're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. But I'm going to have you hold on for just a minute because I've just realized that this cup is empty. <laughs> so, I'm going to take a contemplative moment. I'm going to get that juice and fill this cup. And then we will come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Hang tight.